Good Monday morning, and thank you so much for joining me here at Love, Joy, and Languages, a podcast about loving languages and finding joy in learning them. I am your host, Heidi Lovejoy, and I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with El Sharice, the host of Speaking Tongues podcast. If you've been with me a while, then you know I'm a big fan of Elle's work and the conversations she holds on her show. Elle is a change maker in the language learning community as someone who notices issues, gaps in representation, conversations being ignored, communities being overlooked, and she does something about it, letting her curiosity of the world and of humanity guide her to creating a space for all languages, all cultures, all histories, and all voices to be heard. In our interview, Elle shares a bit about how she grew an interest in languages growing up in New York City, and if you want to hear more of her personal story, I've linked in the show notes two other interviews she's done where she goes into more detail about her journey through languages, and they're absolutely worth listening to. But in our time together, Elle shares a beautiful story of her early passion to learn French, living close to but separated from other cultural communities in New York City, and starting to notice some variation in languages spoken around her and wanting to just have conversations with speakers of those languages, which led to the creation of her podcast. Elle discusses how she connects with such a wide variety of multilinguals on her show and her vision for her platform and how it's evolved and continues evolving based on the stories other people share with her about their languages and cultures. Her mission to add to language discussions on the whole and hold space for the speakers of indigenous, African, Asian, Polynesian languages, and so many other language families, languages that many of us have never heard of, to hold space for speakers of those languages to share their stories, cultures, and languages is one of the most powerful pursuits in the language community and beyond. Elle and I touch on a range of deep, thought-provoking topics seldom discussed in the largest of language learning spaces, from representative language in course material, to the issue of homogenous speaker panels at language conferences, to the need for inclusion of all multilinguals from all walks of life. And of course, we chat a bit about food because, well, you can't talk about language and culture without talking about food. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did, but more importantly, I hope it broadens your view of language learning and what that can mean for so many people around the world. And I hope this conversation leaves you with an insatiable curiosity to know more. So with that, I give you the creator and host of Speaking Tongues podcast, El Sharice. Welcome to the show, El Sharice. Heidi, how are you? I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me onto your show. And I'm so excited to talk with you today. It is such a pleasure. I unfortunately haven't listened yet to every episode of Speaking Tongues podcast, but it is, it's my go-to and I love your work. I love the conversations you have. I love following you on Instagram and seeing the things that you post. So we just have a treasure trove of things that we could talk about. So we'll get started today by telling our listeners a little bit about you. So I'm Elle Sharice, host of Speaking Tongues podcast, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. And I have come to the language community. Um, you know, I feel like I was probably part of a language community before I realized it was a thing online. You know, I've always been so interested in languages. English is my first language, my native language. And um, I've always been so interested in languages that, you know, other people speak. I remember, you know, being young and being 
like obsessed with wanting to learn French, really wanting to learn the French language and, you know, never having the opportunity to do so. And then, you know, having opportunities in school to learn Spanish. I took, I studied Latin in high school and that was like a big stepping stone for me. Um, when I moved on to Italian, moved on to French, dabbled in a little Portuguese, you know, like romance languages. So I've kind of always had that and it's always been a part of me. And I I just think as I got older, I started to feel like this is really where I want to be. I really want to, you know, talk to people, learn more about their languages and and not knowing how to do that, <laughs> but still meeting people, colleagues, friends, uh, coworkers who spoke different languages. I always found myself saying like, oh, so what language do you speak? Where are you from? And then like, completely derailed their day like tell me everything about where you grew up and what language you speak and teach me some of it and you know just realizing that I was having these conversations anyway and wanting to have them uh with other people wanting to share these conversations so my podcast kind of started as an idea through conversations with three different people <laughs> who speak you know many different languages and um just like, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. So I started the show in January of 2020. And here we are. January 2020 is such time to start things. And <laughs> I told you before we started recording, but I'll, I'll say for our listeners too, Elle's podcast is one of the things that helped me get through our lockdown in Italy when we were very hard locked down for a long time. Right. Um, the conversations are so thought-provoking. And, and we'll get into more of those details. I have so many questions, <laughs> so many <laughs> questions about the show, but they're so thought provoking. And so you, you have such a way of saying things and asking things in such a respectful way. And every single guest you have from a listener perspective feels like someone who's your friend that you've been speaking with for a long time. Mm. And it's so interesting. And I'm like you, I, I always, I loved languages. There was no reason for me to love them. I grew up in Kentucky. We had English, you know? That was it. And I didn't know why, but it's the same. Now that I'm in this language world, it feels right. It feels mm -hmm. like where I want to be. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back on your own personal story, though, because you are a New York City woman. Yes. Yes. Born and raised. <laughs> Native New Yorker here. So we have very different experiences growing up. I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to guess probably around my age, you know, 80s, 90s type growing up. Yes. But yes. in very different parts of the country, on, on the eastern side of the country. And yet, for me, the only languages I heard were the very few people who grew up bilingual. And I'm talking like two. Um, I have one friend whose mother was Korean. And I think I knew another girl whose, whose mother was Mexican. And so mm. I heard a little bit of their languages you know, at mm -hmm. their house or something. But... It wasn't set, like I, I couldn't walk down the street. I mean, I couldn't walk down the street anyway. We don't have sidewalks, but I couldn't walk down the street and, and hear languages. I just knew I wanted to, and I didn't know that I had any access to them. So for you growing up in New York City, did you hear a lot of different languages? Um, I've spent some time trying to reflect on this because, mm -hmm. you know, obviously growing up in uh, the 80s and 90s, you know, I was a kid. So it wasn't really up to me what I wanted to experience. It was really what you know, my parents wanted us to do and teachers and, and et cetera. So I think that I was aware of how multicultural New York City was, but I didn't have direct access to the different neighborhoods and enclaves where multilingual people spoke. So mm -hmm. where I grew up, I grew up in the Bronx and um, my neighborhood was primarily um, Black 
African-American, Afro-Caribbean, or Latino, Mm -hmm. specifically Puerto Rican. So almost all the kids in my school were either Black American, Jamaican, or Puerto Rican. So it was this very, you know, we didn't have we didn't have any white kids in our school. We didn't have any Asian kids in our school, which I thought was really interesting. I didn't even realize that till I was older. Like, I don't think I knew anyone like Asian until I was maybe 15 or 16. So even the kids that I grew up with, the only, <laughs> to that end, the only languages I really heard were the, the the Puerto Rican kids that I went to school with. Most of them did not speak Spanish. They may have understood if they spoke with their grandparents um, or maybe an aunt or uncle. Some of their parents maybe spoke Spanish, but I can't think of any of them who spoke Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so I remember hearing from them that, you know, they don't speak and no one really had a desire to speak, but it was just kind of like, oh, you know, I, I kind of understand a little bit, but I don't really speak it. So there was no bilingualism there. Mm -hmm. I did hear a lot of Jamaican Patois and that I didn't realize even at the time that like, okay, this is another language because it was always classified as this is broken English. This is a broken Mm. language. It's, it's not real. And, you know, you, we heard it in music and, you know, uh, dance hall reggae music at the time. Um, I don't think it was called dance hall back then, (laughs) back then. (laughs) It's only a few years ago. I don't think we called it dance hall, but uh, I don't remember what we called it. But um, anyway, so that was, that was really it. And then when I got to high school was when I started meeting friends who were Latina from other parts of Latin America. I have a very good friend whose parents are from Chile. I learned a ton about, about her culture. I met someone from the Dominican Republic when I was 14. I didn't know anyone from there. And I just remember the listening to the cadence of her Spanish and thinking like, what? What's happening? Like, like I just remember something going off in my brain. Like, I know this is Spanish, but this is, this is different, you know, mm-hmm. like, so, you know, in high school, I met kids who, I think there was one kid who spoke Italian. There were a couple of like uh, friends from the Philippines and, you know, a little bit more of that. So I think that in New York City, you know, especially when when I was growing up, you know, just going back again in time, there was a lot of segregation, I think, in the 80s and 90s. So there wasn't really much opportunity for me, uh, for my family, I believe, my black family to go into Chinatown or mm-hmm. to go into, you know, um, a Russian neighborhood or go into a, you know, another neighborhood that had a different background than us. It just, I don't think it was something that we did. I don't think it was something that my friends really did. You know, I, I grew up maybe 20 minutes from little Italy in the Bronx. I never went there until I was maybe like three years ago. So it was just like, that was just stuff that we didn't do. So I I didn't have that kind of exposure to that in spite of being very, still being aware of like New York is the place where, you know, everybody's here from all over the world, but I just, I didn't see them. I couldn't, you know, reach out a hand to them. So I said before that, that it feels like from a listener's perspective that you have a very good rapport, a good relationship with all of your guests. So I'm really curious how you find interviewees that you can have such a good immediate rapport with uh, who speaks so many languages, so many minority languages and 
Creoles and all of it. How do you find people? How do you connect with people? Well, first I want to say that I'm glad that you pick up on the friendly nature of the conversations that we have, because that's exactly how I want the show to feel. I've always said I wanted to feel like you're just sitting in a coffee shop or an airport and you're eavesdropping on two people who are exchanging information about their their culture and just telling stories. So um, that's really important to me. And I I want it to feel like that. I want it to feel friendly. Um, as far as finding people, it's really a mix. I think that I research online. I'm trying to think of the last batch of episodes I did. So a few people I found just by Googling. Um, and I'm always reading something and sometimes something will come across and I'm like, oh, huh. I wonder what languages they speak there. And I'll find people on Instagram or on Twitter on, um, you know, or through a Google search and I'll just reach out and see if anyone wants to come and talk to me. And it, it works out maybe 75% of the time. I think that I have had my share of uh, being ghosted. I've had my share of just, you know, hoping that it will, it will work out with people and it's just not the right fit. So Mm -hmm. I've learned to actually set that boundary and just not accept the standard less than what I really want for the show, but it's been great. And I think, you know, for the most part, people have been really receptive when I've asked them, Hey, uh, come have a conversation with me. And and um, a lot of people are nervous when they talk to me. And I don't want that. I want people to feel like this is a safe space to talk and share. And there's no judgment. There's no preconceived notions. We're learning from one another. And we are um, sharing. And um, it's all out of curiosity and respect. Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting thing to go back through all of your episodes, just scrolling through and seeing what all there is. I love that you post them according to the language, because that first is interesting. When I come across one I've never heard of or never known anyone who speaks, I'm like, yes, this is the one. That's what I have to listen to today. Um, But it is a really good mix of people learning the languages, people learning their heritage languages. Um, The most recent one I listened to was a indigenous language of Mexico. I can't remember. I couldn't pronounce it. That's the problem. I don't know. Okay. Yes, that one. It was absolutely fascinating. And it's such a good mix of languages. And I've noticed, especially over the last year and a half, perhaps that you're really, really digging into indigenous languages, lesser known languages. So I'm curious if your vision of the show has kind of evolved over time as you've had more of these conversations and found more people and found how to connect with people, or if this was the vision and now you're arriving at what you always wanted to do. Oh, great question. I do feel, I'm going to answer that part first. I do feel like I'm arriving. And when I started this show, I had a number of people ask me like, well, what are you, you know, what, what's your plan? And I I didn't have a plan. I just got laid off. We were in lockdown. I had this idea sitting in my head for a year and a half before I even published the first episode. I just wanted to get it done and see where it would go. And I didn't have a plan. But now I feel like I am getting to that place where I feel like this is where I can have my voice. And this is where my voice can be distinct. So 
going back to the first part of that question, um, at that point when I decided I wanted to start the show, I was really struggling with improving my French and improving my Italian. And it was so frustrating to me. And I was looking around at people and I said, how come so-and-so can do it? And I'm stuck on this for years and years and I just can't improve. So my thought was, I want to talk to other people to find out their secrets, like how they do this. So I wanted to get some people on the mic and say, so how'd you do it? What'd you do? Give me a rundown. What can I do? Give me some tips. And about, I don't know, 15, 16 episodes into asking people for tips, I realized I was getting the same tips in every episode. And I said, well, I'm in this for the long haul. And I don't really want to keep asking the same question and getting the same answers. Um, and it also, at that point, seemed like there was no answer. It, the answer was, do what works for you. So I wasn't getting the answer that I thought I was going to get, which is fine. But then what also happened at the same time was that I realized that as interested as I am in the language that people speak, everyone had a story. And I was interested in that story. I was interested in what they do with the language, how they came to the language, how they feel about the language, how they associate the language with other things in their lives. And that's more of what I wanted to hear. And so I tried to, you know, focus on that. And plus, I was meeting a lot of people who had, you know, written a book or were developing a, a, a program or, you know, had some connection that I wanted to highlight, they wanted to highlight. And I think it, it began evolving into that. And as far as languages that, you know, languages that we don't hear about very often, that's very important to me because as I've been spending more time in the language community, I was noticing there's such a focus on Western European languages and Eastern Asian languages, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. I'm learning two of them, you know, but I noticed it almost to the exclusion of every other language on earth. And I started noticing people, no one in particular, who were, you know, I saying, I speak seven languages. I speak 11 languages. I speak X amount of languages. And all of them were romance languages. And maybe there was one Korean or one Mandarin in the, in the bunch. And I remember thinking to myself, well, there are like 2,500 languages spoken on the continent of Africa. No one ever talks about them. You know, there are so many languages spoken in the Caribbean. No one ever talks about it. And there are countless indigenous languages of the Americas. But no one ever talks about that. And I, I hesitate to say it made me angry, but it made me feel like I don't want to keep perpetuating talking about the same top 10 languages that, you know, people are studying, people know about, people can widely consume media in because I don't feel like piling on is really, mm. you know, adding to anything. Mm. So I, I wanted to really position myself where I could add to the conversation. I could help amplify languages that people may not have given a second thought to, um, and I wanted really to introduce culture into that mix as well, because as a traveler, 
I want to make it clear that, you know, when you go to certain places, there's a culture component attached to. If you go to the Caribbean, you can stay on the resort and the all-inclusive, and you can interact with other people who look and sound like you, but step away from that, you'll hear a different language. You'll hear a different rhythm of music. You'll you'll experience different foods. And that is just as important as the language that is spoken. I didn't want to just take the language part and ignore all of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 all in there together. And I want to highlight that. And another thing I'm I'm going on and on. I'm sorry, but um <laughs> I realized also, you know, kind of early in the show that like I'm not I don't want to be here to teach anybody something. I think there are incredible podcasts and hosts out there who do a wonderful job of teaching and um, teaching a language and in a way that I could never do. Um, And that's not my strength and that's okay. Um, That's not me putting myself down. It's me just realizing that's not my lane. So I do try to make an emphasis on, you know, don't come to my show to learn a language. You come to my show to learn about a language and the culture associated with it. Speaking tongues is such a, it's a perfect compliment to all those podcasts that teach you about how to learn a language Mm. because it gives that, that side view of here's all the other stuff. Here's all the open world that you can know about. Even if you have no interest in the languages, you can know about it. And I have two notes here. I don't even know if there's a question in here other than have you felt the same is as someone who grew up knowing that you loved languages, even if you didn't have access to them. And as you started to learn them, for me, I was always jealous of people who grew up bilingual, always jealous of people who had access to languages. And even as an adult learning languages, it's really hard for me not to feel resentful at times for not being the kind of person who had that opportunity growing up. But something that your podcast has done for me is to help me get over myself because there are people who have been bilingual and trilingual, multilingual, and they've struggled. They've struggled with their heritage language. They've struggled with their cultures being shoved down. They've struggled with the Irisher. And who am I to be jealous of people who have had, oh yeah, well, they struggled, but at least they learned the language, but everybody's focus and goals aren't the same. And it was a very small minded view. I think that I've had of um, assuming that everyone who grew up with more than one language was linguistically privileged because Mm -hmm. it's not the case. And your guests have done a very good job of, of sharing their stories and their vulnerabilities and the feelings and connections they have with their languages, their history and their culture. And um, I don't know, I just, I wanted to point that out because I think as you were talking, it hit me that I haven't felt so much of those resentful feelings in the last, you know, year or so. And I think this one thing is I realized that it's not a beautiful joy ride, probably mm. for most people. Mm-hmm. And and that's very much something that should be talked about and, yeah. and honored and respected. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um now that you're mentioning it, I think it's something that I also is one of those things that maybe I knew peripherally, but actually until I started talking to people, I think one thing that really hits me is when I talk to somebody who is expressing how much pain they experience as a child 
and a child of um, immigrant parents into a society that did not reflect them and into a society that tried to reject them and beat mm-hmm. them down. And mm-hmm. those are the stories that I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm struggling even now because it's like, it's, it's not my feeling to feel, mm-hmm. but it is for me to hold space um, for people who have experienced that. And it, it always, I mean, it, it does always break my heart because, you know, kids can be so cruel. Adults can be cruel too, um, often to children, unfortunately. And it wasn't until I really started hearing those stories that I feel like something opened up for me to kind of understand, like, like you said, it's not clearly a privilege because there's some trial associated with attaining that that privilege. And it has opened my mind to thinking a lot about immigration and language rights and identity. Um, these are conversations that I'm I'm trying to have more of, trying to have more conversations about identity and just putting myself in a position where I can listen because I it's it's not my story, it's not my life, and it's not for me to you know really comment on, mm-hmm. but I do find that some people just appreciate being listened to. And I, I want to hear, you know, I and I want to hold space for these stories. I think they're so important and and I I just want to hear more of them. I don't want everyone to really, I don't want anyone to ever feel like their story is not valid or their story is not important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I try to do that to the best of my ability. Yeah. There's been several episodes that I listened to and I feel, I feel those feelings you do. Like I, it's not that I don't feel worthy to listen to because anyone's story is worth listening to, but I feel so. I don't know how to say it. Like these, these stories aren't for me. I need to respect that as a listener, I need to respect that they're telling their story for their community, for people Mm. like them, for their own personal healing. And it feels in at times wrong to be listening in, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're putting it out there for that reason. But I think, um, I don't know. I think there's some moral convictions that, listeners can discover through the conversations you have that we hear the stories that are put out there but like you said they're not for us to feel those aren't our feelings to have and they're not for us to comment on other than continuing to amplify those stories and those voices to reach the people who those stories are for to reach the people who those stories will help you know gather community and healing Mm -hmm. um it's a really I, I just can't, I, I don't know that there's any other shows out there like it in, in any space, not just language learning or, or languages, um, but it's really an emotional experience and a humbling experience often to be able to listen into these conversations like a fly on the wall. Well, the next question I guess you've already answered really is, is how has the show and your conversations broadened your worldview? Because I think like me, you've mentioned several times in the show, like I've never even heard of this language and I've never heard of these places. And and you do a lot of research and you do a lot of, at least on Instagram, putting out more information about these places and the culture and the food that I really love. Um, so do you feel, I don't know, just how, do, how does that make you feel about just the world 
as a whole, other than there's just not enough time to travel to all the places. I, I know. I, I can't think of how many times I've spoken to someone and I'm like, I have to come visit. And that list is ever growing because, you know, so many people tell the story of their homeland, their ancestral land, their adopted homeland. It just sounds so beautiful. And I'm like, I only have two feet. Like, <laughs> I'm going to get to all these places. I will say that this being able to talk to people from all over the world, I've spoken to people on six continents and I know that my inner child is jumping up and down and screaming and so excited because, oh, I'm going to cry. This is all I ever wanted, you know, and I always wanted to travel and meet new people and have uh, conversations and friends or, or family in, in other parts of the world and feeling like I'm there mm-hmm. is so surreal. <laughs> and I think also realizing that this is still just the beginning, right? Like there's so, so far to go. There's 7,000 languages. We need 7,000 <laughs> episodes of speaking tongues. <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't, I definitely don't want to have one episode for each language. Mm-hmm. I, I encourage repeats because it's, it's really a storytelling podcast at, at the heart. It's not just about give me all the facts mm-hmm. and the figures mm-hmm. and the stats, but how my worldview has changed. I will say that just thinking about someplace like India is a really good example of this. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. obviously I know that India is massive and varied and very very magical place I have yet to visit. And I knew that Hindi is like a language of like all the movies I'd watch, like the Bollywood films and stuff. And what I've learned from my guests, not only how many languages there are in India, but how all these languages have their own film industry mm-hmm. and how the food is different. Like the the Indian food I've been eating this whole time comes from one part of the country and there's so many other so like these are things that again maybe i i knew on the periphery of my my brain Mm -hmm. but actually being confronted with them and realizing like oh okay so there's there's really a lot more there Mm -hmm. the spanish language which i realized is spoken all over latin america but realizing how vast it is and how varied it is from country to country and being faced with that and I think that's the operative phrase is just being faced with it because Mm -hmm. sometimes there are things that I'm aware of but I don't dig any deeper but getting to dig deeper it just I don't know why anyone would look at the world we live in and just not care because there's so much to care about there's so much to know Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like it's overwhelming to like want to know. I mean, I'm not ever going to know everything, but isn't it fun to try? Oh yeah. Isn't it fun to just be on that path to learning more about like regional dialects of, you know, languages in, in France that I didn't even know they had a whistle language in 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 France until like a few days ago. No. Like, oh, that's so cool. Okay, now I'm going to go to Google after we get off here. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the languages of 
of the islands of the Pacific. Like what, when do people talk about that? And that's mm-hmm. what, like, I've spoken to maybe three people about Polynesian languages, four people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I never hear people talk about that. So, um, you know, I think it's just expanded my view in like no place is is off limits for me. And maybe there have been regions of the world that I didn't necessarily dive into or lust after. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, every corner of the globe is not safe for me because I <laughs> it's all fair game and for us to learn about and and talk about and and uh and share share culture is meant to be shared so Uh, yeah absolutely oh I feel your joy I feel your joy so much like I share your joy and I can just see it and I can hear it in your voice and it's it's such a beautiful thing because I mean you're like me and that the more we learn about the languages in the world and the cultures the more we want to know and I mean language learners I know there's so many language learners people who do it for a passion who say, you know, I don't have an end to the number of languages I want to learn. My list just keeps growing and growing. And it's it's the same with me. It's all interconnected in that culture and the food and the everything that makes up the culture, including the language. There's just no end. There's so much <laughs> to know. And I don't want to stop knowing until, you know, my time is done. Yeah. So this is a good place, I think, to segue into the next part that I really want to talk about for you is, you know, you've talked about your your mission really to lift up the voices that aren't heard, lift up the languages that people don't know about, and allowing that space for them to talk about and even explore their own identities and their languages and their cultures. And in your own podcast, and I did my research because it was one of my favorite episodes to listen to, in episode 54, you speak with Errol of Moranita Mami. And her journeys with Japanese and Spanish. And during that chat, something you all dove into is race and specifically Blackness in language learning. And I know Errol has also written a book, which you mentioned in that episode called Melon Intro. And I'm definitely going to put that in the show notes to lift up her work as well. But you all have also continued this conversation through your Dismantling Racism Through Language series on Instagram. And there's so much to me, so much value in talking about representation. And that's something that you all have taken on to just doing. So I don't have any specific questions. I just want to leave it open to anything you want to say about how you two together maybe came to doing the Dismantling Racism Through Languages series, what that means for you, and how how you're connecting with the community of Black people and people of color through talking about languages in particular Mm -hmm. well I want to just say that Errol is fantastic and she is one of the sharpest people that I've ever met she's so talented and she's a terrific writer Um, Errol and I met through the Sisters Only Language Summit a few years ago and we just stayed connected ever since and in, in speaking with her and you know, listening to her experiences that she had. And in the episode, she, she talks about this. She tells her story of um, studying abroad in Japan. Um, You know, I think that series and, and the conversation that we've, we've had about blackness in the language community just stemmed from us sharing experiences of being, you know, she studied Japanese and I studied Italian uh, in college, being the only black 
person in the class, being the only black person in the room, not feeling, well, you know, you know, Heidi, you know, when you, <laughs> when you have those uh, beginner classes and they are, you know, you got to pair up with someone and you're like, you know, let so-and-so describe you. And then you describe the other person and just kind of realizing like, well, there's no description for like my kind of hair in these books. And that ended up being like a whole segment where we were talking about hair, but just feeling like we, I'm going to speak for myself. I'm not going to speak for her, but I think for me, just feeling like in this language community, I said before, not feeling like people are respecting or curious to learn languages spoken by people of color, African languages, South Asian languages, etc. And never hearing any emphasis on those languages. Um, going to conferences, attending conferences, and seeing a panel or seeing the speakers list of 15, 20, 30 people, none of them who look like me. It's really frustrating. And I think as, you know, not seeing yourself represented by the same people over and over again, by some of the biggest names in this language community, I just, I just, I just don't understand how presumably some of the more globally minded people who have the wherewithal to know how many languages there are, how many of them are endangered, you know, where, where they're spoken in the world also don't have the insight to include us in the conversation mm -hmm. and invite us to the table. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely want to shout out black girls learn languages. Um, Shahida is the founder of that. And she was one of the per first people that I found when I started doing this show, I found her Facebook group and her Instagram account. And I just think, I love that, you know, someone has created this community and this safe space for, for black women to show up, to be seen, to be heard, to have our own conversation, mm -hmm. because I don't know what it's going to take to feel recognized and feel included by, you know, some of these bigger conferences out there. I just, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with my French partner and he is West African and he lives in France. And we were talking about, I don't remember what we were talking about, but he was starting to tell me about his first language. And then I just casually said something like, well, how many, what other languages do you speak? And he rattled off eight of them. Wow. And I thought to myself, this is a perfect representation of what I feel I've been trying to say with my platform is that mm -hmm. here's a man who speaks eight languages and maybe only studied one, which is English. Okay. But someone who went to school to study eight languages and maybe all these languages are more or less similar for one another, but you have a piece of paper that's legitimizing your, your, your achievement. This person seems to be held in high regard. This person is invited to conferences, is asked to give in speeches. But someone like my French partner, where do I see the people who can do that? Mm -hmm. And I, I've spoken with 
South Asian people as well. I was speaking with someone whose husband can speak six or seven languages. I don't remember exactly which one, just by virtue of, by virtue of being from where he's from. Mm -hmm. Where's the, where's the, the praise for, for what these people can do. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that bothers me because it's great that you studied and you dedicated this time to do it and you have the degree and probably the massive debt to show for it, depending on where you studied. But there are so many people in the world who, who can fluidly go between languages and I never see them on these panels. I never see them invited to talk. And I, I refuse to believe it's because the organizers don't know anybody because you know people who know people who know people. And if this person is five or six degrees away from you, ask the questions, mm -hmm. send out the invite. Someone will know someone. There's no reason why in 2022, I should be opening up a speaker's list and it's just white men and maybe one white woman or maybe one East Asian man. I think there's an interesting point that you're bringing up about what we call the language learning community is made up of people more often than not choosing to learn languages. Mm. And so these and, and we, I mean, I'm included in this, are, are the voices of the people who are learning the languages. Mm -hmm. And to that extent, we don't recognize the people who are speakers of the languages. Mm -hmm. They learned them in childhood, maybe learned English or French additionally in order to, to move or to get jobs or, you know, I mean, there's the, the, the immigrant population to the refugee populations that are having to learn other languages we do get very caught up in this language learning process and the the excitement because it is an exciting thing it's a very joyful thing to be able to learn a language and if we forget that people have been doing this for centuries learning other languages because they have to because it's mm -hmm. their environment to survive right we're not including those voices and i i, I would not excuse the the types of conferences that the people who run them that, that you're speaking of um but it is very easy to get in our world of well we're we're excited to learn languages and this is our language learning community of people who are doing it for fun because it's a hobby because we want to and yes we want to expand our worldview yes we want to make connections in other places but are we completely shoving down and disregarding the people who have been doing this their entire lives who yeah. have the experiences of learning the languages that should be talked about I think that's a definite, um, it's a negative aspect of being language learners and putting ourselves in a hierarchy mm. versus language speakers. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. I think that's fair to, um, you know, that's a fair assessment. If we're looking at it as people who just want to share their tips and give advice and encouragement, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. I liken it in my head to... The difference between the word immigrant and the word expatriate, mm. who gets to have that title mm -hmm. and why does that person get to have that title, mm -hmm. one title over another? Because when you hear one word, we are conditioned to 
think of one type of person and the other word is, and I think, you know, the expat is maybe the learner and the immigrant is maybe the person who has to learn all these languages to, to feed their family. Mm -hmm. And I think that not to invalidate one or the other, but just recognize that both are important. And like you said, people have been learning languages for centuries since the invention of language, (laughs) since the, since the dawn of language, I think, um, I, I know I probably sound very like passionate about this, but just the reality is like, I, I don't like to see anyone in a position of feeling like they're excluded and Mm -hmm. I've been excluded in so many parts of my life. I've felt excluded. And I think my reaction to that naturally is like, don't exclude, Mm -hmm. you know, try to find a way to include people. And I'm very big on inclusivity. And before it was even a buzzword, I was the kid who brought who brought chocolate for everyone on Valentine's Day in high school because I didn't want anyone to feel like nobody loved them. I would go handing out bags of candy because I wanted people to feel appreciated. And that's just my nature. That's just who I am. So um, we could talk for a very long time about this. <laughs> well, I love it because it's something that you are passionate about and I can hear the passion in your voice. And also you bring your own experiences to create paths and create spaces and conversations for people who look like you, who have experiences similar to yours, at the same time, trying to hold space for those who don't look like you, who have different experiences mm-hmm. and also do that. And I don't know, from an outsider's perspective, it, it looks like you're, you're working to, to create these spaces for the voices that need to be heard from your own personal perspectives and desires to find representation for black women like you and for people of color and also for anyone else. And it's not just, I'm doing this for me. This is my life and I need to be represented. It's really, is truly for everyone to find some little, some niche of of representation. It's a very interesting thing to see, to see your podcast and the things you're doing with it and the stories that, that you're having them share, that you're holding space for them to share. And then also doing what you can for your community of people as well. And it's beautiful and it's very motivating and inspiring for anyone, whether it's because of your your race or your culture or your background or your gender or because you're parenting or an immigrant, all of those places need representation. And I absolutely love seeing people, you know, for me, I absolutely love seeing women just creating those spaces. We haven't been represented and now we're talking about it. And we're having Mm -hmm. our voices heard. We're creating the hearing for our voices. I love it. Yeah. Women create, Heidi. That's what we do. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of creating, let's segue into food. Oh, because (laughs) Because you can't talk about speaking tongues without talking about food. And I love food and Elle loves food. And one day we're going to get together and just disgustingly gorge ourselves and all the amazing <laughs> international cuisine of New York City. Can't wait. It's going to happen. So first, tell us about your zine, Taste Buds, which is amazing and has to be talked about. Yeah. So I wrote a a zine called Taste Buds. It's volume one because hopefully there, there will be more in the works. Um, and I 
was trying to remember how I got this idea specifically, but as many ideas that I have, maybe it came to me in a dream. Maybe it came to me on the subway or something. I don't know. But I, on my show, I've been having these conversations with people and just ended up asking them about food. And most people that I spoke to have responded enthusiastically about food, their favorite dishes and what's typical. And, you know, sometimes that flows over into um, history as well mm-hmm. and learning about the historical origins of a dish or a winemaking tradition or holidays. And usually <laughs> these episodes end up on Patreon. Um, these these segments end up on Patreon. So that's probably the genesis of it. Just, you know, talking about food with people. And then I realized like there is a connection here between food and between language. And I think that <laughs> Um, one thing that I love is that, you know, every culture has some form of dumpling mm-hmm. and everybody around the world collectively at some point decided to fill a pasta, a bread, a, a potato, something with meat and onions or cheese mm-hmm. or fruit and bake it or fry it, uh, steam it. And give it their name. Call it their name. And that's so cool. It's so cool. So just thinking about how all these, you know, stuffed, filled things have different names around the world. And and thinking about also New York, our food scene here is renowned. And, you know, we're known for having cuisine from all over the world. And I think it was just uh, a number of those things. Now, the name of the book actually came from a friend uh, a, a guest who has become a friend um, and a listener of the show, Candice, who actually suggested, well, Speaking Tongues is the name of your show. So Taste Buds. <laughs> I never put that together. It is yeah. brilliant. Oh yes. my gosh, I love that. So it was, you know, I got the green light from her for that one. And um, now everything I do is going to have to be mouth related, I think. <laughs> So you've taken Taste Buds and, well, actually, I don't know which came first, Taste Buds or L Eats the World in New York City. Yeah. Tell us about that. Oh, that is just a pure vanity project of me it. just wanting to, you know, I've seen people do like eat around the world in New York City and I just think it's brilliant. And I realize I'm here, not getting any younger. I have this food adjacent project too. So I, I really just wanted to do it not only for myself, but, you know, for content and, you know, to share my city with people mm-hmm. and how, how multicultural it is. But that's been really fun because I, I kind of got to a point where I feel like the times when I do go out to eat or I do have, a, um, you know, I do get takeout. It's always the same few things, you know, it's pizza, it's Chinese or it's burgers or something. So I'm like, why don't I make an effort to actually get on the train, go to a different neighborhood, try something completely different. And I live right now in the borough of Queens and Queens is known as the international borough. And there are, I think this is the part of the city where there is the most representation from all over the world. So I'm trying to stay local Mm -hmm. in Queens as much as I can to experience that, but it's been great. I've gone and had Bolivian food. I've had 
Greek food. I've had Somali food. Mm. I've had um, Colombian food, Venezuelan food. Um, I'm so glad I ate before we started this interview <laughs> because I'm not hungry, but it's been so much fun. And, you know, especially with, you know, not being able to travel at the moment as widely as I'd like to, like, mm -hmm. it's, it's a little something to make me feel a little closer, but this is, it's like a pure vanity thing for me, just wanting to get out into New York city and also support yeah. um, local restaurants too. So it's been a lot of fun and I have quite a ways to go, but I'm looking forward to every bite. I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it because in a lot of places I lived in the States, I've, I've lived all over the States. You know, we have a Korean restaurant, um, usually a sushi place, a Chinese place, and I've ventured out a little bit more to smaller places, but I I've never lived in a big city. And so moving to, when we moved to Italy, of course, we started traveling to more big cities. And every time we go to a new country, we go to a big city, we're like, we want to explore all of the any country that we've never eaten food from there, if it's in the sense like London, we ate um, Kurdish food in London and Lebanese food Ooh, in London. Yeah. I'm like, see, I don't, I mean, I'll eat fish and chips, but I don't go to London for the fish and chips. I go for <laughs> the more international cuisine. But yeah, that's, that's my favorite thing about travel, even in Europe is, especially in the big cities, there's a very wide range of international cuisine. And that's what I want. That's what we travel for. Yeah. <laughs> food. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, I mean, food really helps us also to broaden our worldview. Because like you said, you named Venezuelan and Colombian. And you know, just thinking of like the massive continent of Africa, the massive continent of South America, each country and each place within the country has their own cuisine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's even if it's similar, even if it's a a pastry stuffed with meat and onions, it's different. And to be yeah. able to experience all of the regional foods mm -hmm. and regional tastes. It just helps you realize how big and diverse the world is. Yeah. Definitely. And mix that with dialects you hear and accents you hear. And definitely it's, it's just so beautiful. It Absolutely is beautiful. All right. The biggest question then to end our food conversation, because <laughs> I mean, I really ate right before we started and I'm wanting to eat again now. <laughs> um, so of all the stuff that you've tried then, I mean, in your entire life, do you have a favorite food or a favorite type of food or a region mm. of the world or a country type of food that you find yourself going to over and over or just really crave? Oh yeah, for sure. I'm on the record as saying that Greek is my favorite mm -hmm. and I will, I will hold on to that. I love Greek food. I've not met a Greek dish that I don't enjoy. Mm. I like, uh, I like Japanese food. The Japanese food, that, and I'm very careful to say, Japanese food as I've had it in the U.S., mm -hmm. I enjoy. What else is up there? I like very much uh, Lebanese. I think Lebanese is so flavorful, so flavorful. And I, in New York, you know, we have a lot of, uh, you know, Levantine foods, Palestinian, Jordanian, Israeli etc but my favorite is always Lebanese like mm -hmm. I'm being very specific <laughs> it's always Lebanese food um my mom and my mom's family is from the Bahamas so Bahamian food is always very special to me um it's always a, a part of me there's so many there's so many cuisines that I just 
really love. And then there are some that I stay away from, not because I don't like them, but because of my food allergies. So I am, I know I'm the, I'm the, someone said yesterday, you're a foodie with food allergies. (laughs) Like, how does that work? And I said, unfortunately it doesn't work. But so here's an example. I love Vietnamese. I've had, you know, dishes that I've had with Vietnamese food, Malaysian food, delicious, but I have to be exceedingly careful when I have those things. And for friends who make them and maybe I'm dining with them or they've made some like, you know, for the office or for like a get together, they will exclude my allergens from the the dish. And I greatly appreciate that. But I've had some scary moments, especially most recently with Vietnamese. And I was so sad because it was really good until my mouth started swelling up. So (laughs) I made it. I'm here to, I'm here to tell the tale. So I'm glad. I'm very glad you're here to tell the tale. Uh, That's, that's so difficult. I think for me, the food I always look for first is Korean food. I Mm. absolutely love Korean food. Um, One that I haven't had a broad variety of food from, but what I have had is amazing is um, from Sri Lanka. Little crispy, spicy fish with, with, I don't, I don't know what you call it. So this is going to be horrible for if I have any listeners from Sri Lanka, like, please <laughs> reach out to me for one and correct me. So I, <laughs> so I know, but there's just like some, a rice cake, I guess, with, with spicy, crunchy fish. Yeah. Heavenly. Uh, those are up there. Those are up there for sure. We have a Sri Lankan neighborhood out in Staten Island, which is not easy to get to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say mm-hmm. the least. So there, there's a few places on my list out there, but I'm waiting until someone's going that way and I can, <laughs> can snag a ride. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. As we wrap up today, is there anything else? I mean, we've, we have covered a, a broad range of things and I appreciate you giving, giving a bit of yourself today to the conversation, giving a bit of your personal thoughts and feelings and vulnerabilities and, and your mission in life, really, not just your podcast. I mean, I I imagine Elle going out in her everyday life and still continuing these conversations (laughs) as best as possible. Um, But is there anything else that you just want to say or or leave listeners with a particular thought about the languages and and culture and, and all of it wrapped up together? Oh my gosh. Well, before I forget to say this, thank you for having me for this conversation, Heidi, and thank you for the work that you do on your show and all the encouragement that you've given, not just offline for me, but online through your show and for all your listeners. If there's anything that I want to share and just anything I want people to come away with when they either listen to my show or speak to me in person is just like, please be curious. Mm-hmm. and. I try every day to lead with curiosity. I'm not perfect. I ask questions. I don't like to assume. And I hope that the work that I'm doing inspires people to grow and nurture their curiosity um, with their neighbors, with their their neighborhood, with new experiences. Um, Be brave, be kind, be curious, and... I think that that's, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm going to put be brave, be kind, be curious. I, I'm going to frame it and put it in my kid's bedroom. That is 
it's beautiful. It's, <laughs> it really is beautiful. I couldn't ask for anything more for, for growing a new generation of, of human beings Yeah, than to exhibit those things. So tell our listeners, I'm sure they already know if they follow me on Instagram, they know where to find you because I share your work so often. Um, but tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can buy your book, where they can connect with you, listen to you and all the goodness. Absolutely. Um, speaking Tongues can be heard on just about any podcast provider that you have, specifically on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And also on YouTube, I always put it up an audio version of the episodes up on YouTube. I can be found on Instagram at Speaking Tongues Pod. I am on Facebook at Speaking Tongues Pod. YouTube, Speaking Tongues Pod. Twitter, I did not get that handle. So I am at ST Podcast Host over on Twitter. My book is available through lulu.com. And if you actually go to any of my social media pages and my link tree. There is a link in my bio to purchase the book. It's definitely available and it is the gift giving season. So please it feel is. free. It's not too late to buy gifts, buy gifts for yourself, buy one for your friends, <laughs> all of them. Thank you so much, Elle. I am so, I'm just, I'm beyond happy to just chat with you. You're an incredibly fascinating person to me. <laughs> you're you're so intelligent and curious and sharing your curiosities makes me more curious. And it is truly an honor to, to talk with you. Thank you so much, Heidi. Wow. That was such a valuable conversation. And as we mentioned, it's just getting started. Also eloquently expresses the need for much wider representation in the language learning community. The way she sees problems like exclusion and a lack of diversity and then creates a way to bridge that gap leaves me wanting nothing more than to support and lift up this work. The conversations she shares on her podcast make me want to know more and to be better and do better. I know in this conversation today, I don't always transition easily or smoothly between thoughts and it's because I try leaving some issues and observations where they are without my personal inexperienced commentary. Elle said it so well that these aren't necessarily conversations for us to have. We aren't the experts, but when we see the problems and we see the ignoring or silencing even of speakers of certain languages or from certain cultures, then we can do our part to amplify those voices and hold space for those stories to be shared and to be heard. And Elle is doing exactly that in the incredible work she shares with the world. I'll leave links for where to find and connect with Elle in the show notes, as well as links to others we mentioned in this episode, and to several other women I know of who are creating language spaces for all voices to be heard. Oh, and one last thing before I sign off for today is that I found the name of this Sri Lankan rice cake I mentioned. It's Kiribat, spelled K-I-R-I-B-A-T-H. So if you're a curious foodie, you know where to start. Thank you all so much for listening in. Go check out and support Elle's work at Speaking Tongues Podcast. And until next time, ciao.